Lord, we do love you and praise you and thank you, God, that you are truly worthy of our praise, God. So we love you. We praise you, God. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would be in the midst right here with us, God, that you would lead and guide us accordingly, God, that you would open our hearts to what it is today that you would have for each and every one of us. And we pray there would be something, one word for each of us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are learning about truth. If you've just joined us, this is our third week, and we're talking all about truth. The truth found in the Word of God, because the Word of God is truth. And then we learned, I think, our first week that Jesus is the truth. And that we as Christians are to carry that truth. So uh, this week and for the, the remainder of our time together, we are going to continue that theme of truth and how that is lived out today in our Christian conduct. So truth we know is founded upon Jesus. It's founded upon the word of God. As I said, the word is truth. Jesus is truth, and we are to carry the truth. If Jesus is the truth of the word of God, and the word is found in him and in the word, and we as believers know Jesus personally as our Lord and Savior, then we are to walk in that truth. We have anyone on the earth Shouldn't we be the ones that can be counted on? We should be people that are of our word. We should be people that can be trusted, of anybody that can be trusted. It should be said of Christians that they are people that can be trusted. So how the world sees us as Christians is often how the world sees Jesus, right? Because we are really the only Bible that some people may read, the only Bible that some people may hold, the only Bible that some people may see is us. We are Jesus walking around here. We are the Bible walking around because some people won't get to know him, but they may get to know us and they will see his reflection in us. So we then not only carry the truth, we are the truth. We represent the truth, which is Jesus Christ, right? So how the world sees us as believers is often how they see Jesus. So what I want to say today is character counts. (laughs) Christian character matters. Christian character counts. How important is Christian character? Very important. The Bible is full of verses that talk about uh, Christian character, Christian conduct, Matthew 5.16, we're going to have a lot of references today. If you like to write your references down, we have lots of references. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father. They see us and they give glory to him, God the Father in heaven. Again, 2 Corinthians 9.13, By their approval of this service, service, They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them. They see us 
and they see our works, the world, the people that are watching us, and they see him. They attribute it to God. Again, 1 Peter 2.12, which we're going to talk about today. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify who? God. Glorify God. People see us and they attribute it to him. Praise God, right? That could go either way, though. (laughs) It could be a great thing or it could be a really bad thing. When unbelievers see the love we Christians have for one another and also for the world, and we do good works, we perform on that basis, they think they may think all sorts of evil against us, But they cannot fault us for our conduct because that conduct is to bring glory to God. Someone once said, if you take care of your character, God will take care of your reputation. Good reputation is where it starts. That starts the good character, but it is all the, a good reputation, excuse me, a good reputation starts with a good character. And that good character comes from knowing the Lord and what we're going to learn about today and obeying the Lord. Even in our witnessing, in our defense of the faith, we should have good Christian conduct. We should conduct ourselves, as 1 Peter 3 tells us, we'll look at next week, with gentleness and respect, saying, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason of this hope that is within you with meekness and fear. Even in our witnessing, we have to have good Christian conduct. The truth of the matter is that the gospel is already offensive, right? It's already offensive to people. We don't need to make it more offensive by the way we present it. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And we Christians should not add to that offense. Rather, we should conduct ourselves in a godly way as to win those. To the Lord and not to further offend them. This attitude is what Peter is trying to communicate here this week in chapter 2 as he shares with us six keys to Christian conduct, is what I titled it. Six keys to Christian conduct. Let's look at verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 2, where we will see our first key to Christian conduct. And that is, I'm going to tell you right now, is to lay aside sin. 1 Peter 2, 1, therefore, meaning, we know, when we see therefore, it means what? What is it therefore? Therefore, in light of what we discussed last week, therefore, in light of what Peter just said, which was that our salvation through the truth of the word of God, which is in Jesus Christ, since we now have the salvation in him, let our conduct be godly. So, We are to let our conduct be godly by doing these things. We are to lay aside malice, he says, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious." 
So, newborn babies aren't concerned about gossip and slander, are they? They aren't concerned about deceitful speaking or evil speaking of others. They're all only, their only concern is what? Eating and maybe sleeping. (laughs) Just eating. That's their only concern. They will cry and cry and cry because they're overly tired or because they're hungry. They're not concerned about anything else but eating. If a baby, though, is eating the wrong food, they won't have much appetite for that which is good and healthy, right? The same is true with us. We need to stay away from anything, any bad food, any junk food, anything that will not help us to grow in our walk with the Lord, anything that is not good nourishment for us. And here Peter lists five things that can easily stunt our Christian growth, our spiritual growth. It can arrest our growth here. And um, I refer to these as, you know, the fad but. Five bad foods not to eat. These are the things you do not want to eat. These are like donuts and chips and whatever you stay away from. Okay, they are malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Peter instructs the church and instructs us to lay these things aside, meaning to throw them off or give them up in order to progress. I like that. You cannot go forward if these are a part of your life. If malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or evil speaking is part of your life, it will stunt your growth. It will arrest your development. So what are these things? Malice. Any kind of wickedness or desire to do evil. It is ill will. Deceit. Or some of your versions may say guile. Uh, It means deception. It means fraud. It means concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Number three, hypocrisy. Claiming to have a moral standard or belief that you don't conform to. Pretending to be a Christian in one way, shape, or form. Playing the part rather than living the life. Next, envy. Envy. I think this is something that we probably all struggle with, right? I mean, maybe if we don't struggle with the other ones quite so much, this is probably the one that we can all say will hinder our development. If we are envious, meaning if we are jealous, if we are covetousness, if we ever say, I wish I had that, or I want that, or... Or we're jealous. It's hard. I was sharing with somebody recently that it is so easy. Why? Why is it so easy for us to um, comfort those who need to be comforted, to cry with those, to mourn with those who are mourning? But then when we're called to rejoice with those who rejoice, it's difficult, is it not? If somebody gets a position that we were up for, is it hard to rejoice with them? If somebody gets the spotlight and we need to sit, is it hard to sit? Yes, it is hard. We tend to be jealous people. We tend to get jealous. It's very difficult. Also, evil speaking. Speaking directly to a person with the specific intent to cause pain. 
I wish I could say we don't do this, but I think all of us at some particular time have fallen into this category. These are all things that we as believers want to avoid. We want to stay far from these things. We want to know that these will hinder our development, our growth as believers. Next, Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter, and forgive me, I said Paul last week. If I accidentally say Paul, you know, Paul, Peter, you know, they're (laughs) almost one and the same, completely different people. But nonetheless, um, I always watch my teaching because I learn. Just kind of note to self, if you ever have to do public speaking, watch yourself. It's painful, but that's how you learn. So I did say Paul in the beginning, but um, I know it probably went right over your head. You probably didn't even hear. The Monday night ladies are sharp. They're probably caught it. No, they're probably slept. No. <laughs> Anyways, Peter exhorts the believers to have a desire for God's word that they can grow. He likens the word of God to that of milk, which is our second point here. Our first is that they are to lay aside those things that can hinder the bad food. But then they're to grab the one good food, the one good thing that helps us to grow, and that is milk. Just like, um, or excuse me, it's not just any milk, Paul says, excuse me, Peter, see, I said Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, by the way. That's probably why. Peter says it's pure milk. It's not just any milk. It's that pure milk that the Lord has allowed newborn babies to receive from their mother. Peter refers to God's word as pure. He means it is unadulterated. It is untainted. He means that nothing is added to it, mixed with it. It is not watered down. It is the real deal, 100% pure. No dilution and no contamination. When a baby is born, we know the best thing for that baby is their mother's milk. God has designed the human body in such an amazing way that the mother's milk is a perfect, complete food for that newborn baby. It will immunize the baby from any illness. It will nourish the baby so the baby can grow correctly. In the same way, God's word will protect us Christians from many spiritual diseases. It will um, nourish us and help us to abound in our walk with the Lord as we grow. A mother's milk will make a baby grow for months and months and months without any other food. Isn't it fascinating that of any illustration, Peter chose this one. I find it fascinating. He's a man. He's a man. He's not even a woman, you know. But uh, to know just the amazing um, um, connection and bonding and things that happen when you nurse a child, and and then and what's contained in the mother's milk as well. I find it fascinating. Uh, but I find it fascinating that when we first get saved, it you know we we are to feed on the milk of the word. But then at some point through the scriptures, uh, we're, we're called to partake, to basically eat a meal, to partake of the, the meat and the bread and the whole meal of the word of God because we can, what? We can handle it then. When we first get saved, there's only certain things we can handle, right? We can handle the milk. 
But then after we're about six months old, maybe, uh, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger, we can handle more, more of it, more food. We can handle the solid food, and then we're maturing. Fascinating. Likewise, though, God's word nourishes us much like this pure milk from a mother. And then we grow towards salvation. Verse 2 says, if a child is not given, though, this proper nutrition, it will not grow, right? And how many times? We may have had this happen in our own life. I know it happened in my life. When I came to know the Lord, I didn't eat. (laughs) And so I couldn't grow. And then I was stented at 15. And then at 16, recommitted my life. Didn't eat, didn't grow. But at 19, recommitted my life for the third time. I ate and I grew. And I started with milk and then I got meat and bread and veggies and full meals on the word of God. If we partake of the food, we will grow. If we do not partake, you do not grow. Do you understand? This is our food. This is what we eat. If we do not, we become weak and malnourished and sick. And this can even happen at different points in our walk with the Lord, right? We understand that. We can partake of the word of God and we can get going and we can grow. And then we can take a break. (laughs) We can stop eating. We can fast from the word of God. And what happens when we go too long? We become malnourished and weak in our spiritual state. We're unhealthy. We're unable to know the truth from a lie. And, um, and so we need, to get, we need to eat the word of God on a regular basis. Notice that in verse 2, there is a word there that I found interesting. It sort of just popped off the page. And the word is desire. We are to desire this. Desire it. We can desire it or not. We're not just to drink it. We are to desire it. To desire means to crave for, to long for, to yearn for, to be desperate for the Word of God. Do you crave the Word of God on a daily basis? Do you long for it, yearn for it? Are you desperate for it? I tell you, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more desperate you are. For the Word of God. If you don't drink from the Word of God, you will become weak. If you don't eat from it, you will become malnourished. And your spiritual development will be arrested, stunted, and stopped. A healthy infant is a hungry infant, right? And a spiritually healthy Christian is a hungry Christian. Are you hungry for the word of God? Do you have a growing appetite for the meat and the milk of the word of God? Do you thirst for more of Jesus? If your answer is no, you might want to check your diet. What are you eating? 
Are you eating the donuts? <laughs> Get back to the veggies. Get some meat. You know, drink from the well of living water. Psalm 1, 2 through 3 says it so beautifully. It reminds us that we are to delight in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he, that is we, meditate day and night. You really want to grow? day and night. Eat twice a day. That brings forth its fruit. Oh, whoops, let's go back here because this is important. He shall be, if we do that, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in seasons, whose leaves shall not wither, and who, whatever they do, shall prosper. If we partake morning and night, twice a day, we will be like a well-watered tree that produces fruit. We want to produce fruit, don't we? Anyone? Amen? Are we tired today? (laughs) Once we lay aside the sin and we eat the right fruit, we then can practice our third key, which is to build the house. Verses 4 and 5 It says, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, I love that, you also as living stones are, here it is, being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Have you ever been rejected by men or women? Have you found that to be fun? (laughs) No. Rejection is hard. It is lonely. But it's in those times that we need to remember that we are chosen by God, that he calls us precious, that he knows exactly how we feel because he too was rejected. And we're not alone. Peter says here that Jesus is referred to as the living stone. In the Old Testament, he's referred to as a rock. Psalm 92.15 declares the Lord is upright, and it says, He is my rock, the psalmist says. Isaiah 44.8, Do not fear, nor be afraid. Have I not told you that from that time and declared it, that you are my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other, what, rock that I know of. No, not one. And in the New Testament, Jesus is known as our rock. He is the living stone. Jesus is the living one and the source of life. 1 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that was Jesus Christ, that rock. He is our rock. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so too the son also gives life to those who he wishes. John 5, 21. Jesus is strong enough, ladies, and solid enough to build our life upon, for he is the sure foundation. Amen? He is the rock. In Luke 6, 48, Jesus gave us that example. I think we referred to it last week as the two examples. Where do you want to build your life on? The rock or the sand? And we are to choose the rock. 
That is a solid, sure foundation. So we can conclude from these scriptures that the word of God is solid, that Jesus is a living stone, and that we are to build our life upon him. But guess what? We too, the scripture says, are living stones. Look at verse five. You also, a living stone, which being built upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In his first mention of the church in Matthew 6, 18, Jesus compared the church to a building. And he said, I will build my church. Believers are living stones inside the building, right? Each time someone trusts in Jesus Christ, another stone is quarried out of the pit of sin and cemented into this building by the grace of God. But my question to you today is, what are you building upon? Is your foundation the rock, the solid rock? Or are you building upon the shaky foundation, the sand? The way that we build upon the rock is building upon this. It's it's partaking this and obeying this. And then it's cemented in, and we're building upon the rock. If Jesus lives in us and we are considered the building, we're the living stones, my question is, what are you doing with what you're building? Are you sharing? We can build upon the solid foundation, but then we need to share the love of Jesus. We have to share with others because we want this building to be big, (laughs) We want as many people in before Jesus comes back as possible. Peter continues in verse 6. He says, Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Here Peter looks back to the Old Testament passage of Isaiah and relates it to Jesus. He quotes from Isaiah 28, where Isaiah said prophetically, there would be a chief cornerstone that one could build their life upon. And he shares who that chief cornerstone is. It is who? It's Jesus. The chief cornerstone is Jesus. Cornerstone, the word cornerstone, is in its literal usage, most often referred to as a large stone placed in the foundation at the main corner of a building. In biblical times, buildings were often made of cut squared stone. You'll see this if you visit Israel. Uh, By uniting two intersecting walls, a cornerstone would help align the whole building together. In addition, the cornerstone occasionally refers to a top stone or a final stone in a building called the capstone. So regardless of the cornerstone or capstone or both of them, the important point is Jesus is the foundation that we build upon. Amen? Whether he's the cornerstone or the capstone, he is that foundation that we build upon. Anyone who believes in Jesus will come to experience that he is the solid rock on which we are to build our life. Peter continues, verses 7 and 8, and he says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are 
uh, disobedient, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. To those that believe in Jesus, the message of the cross is powerful. It's power. It's a blessing. But to those who do not believe or are disobedient, it's a stumbling block. It's a, an offense. The word of God can save a person if they choose to respond to it and obey to it. Or excuse me, obey it. But the same word that changed us and healed us and brought us life when we received it can also cause others to stumble, right? Because they choose to reject it. And we may even be those people that at one point in our life, we chose to reject the, um, the Lord. And, and it may have been a stumbling block to us at one point in time, but that which we stumbled over, then we stumbled back onto, right? And the Lord opened our eyes. And however he did it, it doesn't matter. He did it, praise God. <laughs> but this, the word of God can be offensive. Our lives, without saying a word to anybody, they can be offensive to people. Some are offended if you, you know, mention that sin actually exists, you know, or God forbid that they are a sinner, which we all are. You know, people are offended at that. Um, we'll get there a little later, but people are offended when you use the word submission in these days, right? I mean, they've taken it out of the wedding vows. Um, I can't wait to get to next week, ladies. Oh, you know, you read ahead. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, just read the beginning of chapter three, and then you'll know what we're talking about. But anyways, uh, if we say that there is one exclusive way and there's not many ways to heaven, people are offended by that. Ladies, we cannot be neutral regarding the word of God. We either believe all of it or none of it, right? We either believe Jesus is the one true way or he's not the way. Either the word of God is the word of God the true word of God, or it is not at all. But it will demand a decision. When we choose to first lay aside the sin, the junk food, and re receive the pure word, the pure milk, the good food, the result is that our house begins to be built. We're building on the solid foundation of Jesus, and then we're building our house then we can't help, after doing those three things, respond with the fourth key, which is praise. Praise is a natural byproduct of the other three keys, especially when we discover that we are chosen, that we are royal, that we are a special people. As verse 9 tells us, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and to his marvelous light. Did you know that Jesus chose you before you chose him? 
Jesus said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. Which brings us to our fifth key point which takes up the remainder of this chapter and goes into the next. I'm going to have to call an audible real quick. It's cold in here, and I'm cold, and I see you shivering. So can somebody help me with that? Thank you. Is anybody else cold besides me up here? Okay, and I'm under the lights? Okay, it's very cold. So submission is our fifth key. We will talk about it next week. We uh, are talking about it here. It takes up the remainder of this chapter, it must be important, right? This much of scripture means that this topic is very important because it is something that is very difficult for us to do in human nature. We want to resist. We want to pull back. We want to defend, which we can do. But we are also called to submit. This is not a popular topic and one that is not really discussed in our world today but one that is so very important in the life of the believer. Submission is not slavery, ladies, but simply recognizing God's authority in our lives. Submission is recognizing God's authority in our lives. God has established the marriage. He has established the home, the government, and the church, and he has a right to tell us how it should be run. Amen? We each should exercise authority, but we must be under it first to exercise it. You know, Satan offered Adam and Eve freedom without authority, uh, and they lost both freedom and authority. The prodigal son wanted freedom and authority, and he, too, lost it all. But he received it back when he came underneath the authority of his father. We can lose it, but we can get it back if we just would come back under the right authority of our heavenly father. In this section, Peter addresses submission to civil authorities and employers. And next week we will talk about, um, I'll tease you a little bit with this, submission in marriage. Now make sure you come. Those of you who don't come back, I'm going to know it's because we're talking about this. So no, this is really good stuff. I will present it um, very balanced, by the way. No, it's great. I mean, we need to know it. It's awesome. I am so glad I am not a man and don't have that responsibility. Praise God. Anyone else with me here? Because, yeah, he has to stand before Jesus and say how he covered and washed his family and how he, what he did with his family. We don't have to do that. We just stand and say, this is what I did with you, Jesus. We're not responsible for our family, but our husbands are. So praise God. So think about that this week until next week. Oh, thank you, Lord. I don't have his job, his responsibility. He, I don't have to stand before the Lord and give an account of what I did with my family. So, uh, but the church is under tremendous persecution and suffering uh, because 
at that time, we know, I mean, we, we learned about it the first few weeks, that the persecution, we, haven't, we have no idea what they were going through at this time when Peter wrote this letter. I mean, this was a time that um, Nero was uh, ruling and reigning, and the people were, um, were being tortured and were being killed in um, terrible ways. Um, it said, if, if you're familiar, that Nero would light Christians on fire and put them in his garden to light his garden. So, I mean, this is what they're going through um, is, is difficult. And when we have to submit to an ungodly ruler, I find that that is most difficult. And so Peter brings it home. It's not just through the civil authority, but it's also he speaks of our um, employer, or if we're if we are the employer, our employees in that relationship, as well. But we find it very difficult. It's very easy to submit when things are going great, isn't it? When things are going good and and uh, your marriage is awesome, it's easy to submit. Or your employer employee relationship is good, it's easy to submit. Or we have a president that is born again and doing the right thing, or that that's easy, making good decisions. But it's when we disagree that there's a problem. And this is where they are when they're in disagreement and they're still having to submit to the civil authority. So Peter begins by reminding them in verse 11 and 12 that their conduct can win others to Christ. So submitting, when it's difficult to submit, there's others watching and it can win others to Christ. Let's take a look at verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. As Christians, we must constantly remind ourselves who we are. We are beloved. We are loved by God. Eight times in the epistle of Peter, so First and Second Peter, Peter reminds the church how much God loves them. And his love for us should be the motivation for us to live a godly life. Remember that in this letter, it was written to, as I said, those Christians that were um, suffering extreme trials and persecution uh, from the Roman government. Some Christians had lost their lives for just professing to be um, believers. And as a result, they were struggling in their faith. And this can happen with us as well, right? We can struggle in our faith when we are having to submit to ungodly leadership or even let's just bring, make it very practical. Even in our home, we can struggle with submitting to, a, let's say, a decision that we disagree with, that our husband is making, and, and we're not maybe in full agreement with that. Um, that is difficult, but we'll talk about that next week. We are still called, nonetheless, to submit. But in this case, when we submit... Um, to authority, governmental, civil, employee, employer, we need to remember, because we call ourselves Christians, that people are watching us. So if we don't submit, that is really, um, you know, it's a bad witness. It's a bad witness. 
So there's things that occur in our lives that can cause uh, physical suffering in our bodies. You know, they eventually give out. Of course, we know disease and decay. There are things in our life that can cause emotional suffering, mental anguish. But when we're in the midst of a trial, there's so many questions. I don't know if you found yourself asking questions when you're in the middle of a trial. Uh, maybe, Lord, are you still here? <laughs> or um, have I done something wrong to deserve this? <laughs> or um, am I loved? Am I alone? What have I done? When we're in the midst of being treated wrongfully, we can sometimes emotionally go to those places. And if we don't take them captive, we can spiral very quickly down to a very unhealthy place. We need to be careful not to do that. We need to not forsake during those times being in the word of God because this is a truth that combats the lies. Those are all lies, by the way. Those are lies. But when we're in the truth, it combats those lies. But when we're in the midst of a trial or a difficult situation, sometimes we don't run to the truth. We run from the truth. I don't know why that is, but we do. We either try to keep ourselves busy or we just spiral to this very unhealthy place. And and we have the enemy who's trying to keep us from the truth, to keep us spiraling down lower and lower. And the very thing which can save us and help us, we run from. So when we're in that place of being wrongfully treated, let's say, or, um, or we're just not in agreement, or we're just emotionally in an unhealthy place, we need to run to the truth because that will set us free. Amen? It sets us free. How are we to conduct ourselves in the midst of suffering? How are we supposed to live our life in the midst of suffering? Peter gives to the believers very practical ways that they are to live their lives um, in light of their circumstances. They were to live, he says, honorably, meaning that they were to live Um, in an upright manner. They were to live morally. They were to live ethically. And they were to live honestly. In those times, we don't throw all of our morals out the door. We grab hold of them and we stick to our Christian conduct. He also reminds them that they are sojourners. They're pilgrims. They're, you're not going to be here forever, is what he reminds them. And I love that he reminds them that, because what does the enemy love? One of his lies that he loves to remind us. You're not going to get out of this. You're going to be in this place forever, whatever state that is, right? That is a lie from the enemy. But we need to remind ourselves that we are not here forever, that we're not going to be in this place forever, that we are sojourners, that we are pilgrims, that we are just passing through and our home is not here. Amen? It is there. What did we talk about last week? If we want to live hope on a daily basis, 
We have to keep to the forefront of our mind that this is not our home, that our home is there, and that he is coming back soon for us. That is our living hope. That will keep us going on a daily basis, no matter what you're going through. We are just here for a short time, and as far as eternity is, this is just a little drop in the bucket. So we need to remind ourselves, if that's for you here today, if you're struggling, if you're going through a difficult trial, this is not your home. You were made for a different place. It was like that quote we read last week. If you find that you're uncomfortable and you're not sure why, just it's because we weren't made for here. We were made for there. Our home is not here. We should be uncomfortable here. Um, Verse 11. We are also to abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. When we're going through a difficult trial in our life, it's easy to forget who we are. We forget. Oh, wait, yeah. First and foremost, before anything else, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And I am to have Christian conduct. It's easy, isn't it, to lose perspective? We lose our peace. We lose perspective. We have peace. We have perspective. And the peace of God comes when? When we cast those cares off, when we're anxious for nothing, when we pray, when we take time, and we set that aside, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We have to stop. We have to take time to listen to the Lord, to stop, to be in the Word, to be in prayer. We are Christians first and foremost, and we are to have and maintain Christian conduct. And I know It can get hard at times. It can get frustrating. And I'm going to go back to my refrigerator story. Uh, I'll tell you. So I was, it's fixed, by the way. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. It's two and a half weeks, almost three weeks without the fridge. And um, wow, you have no idea how thankful we are to have a fridge. The funny thing is we had this little teeny tiny fridge in the garage for two and a half weeks. And um, I find myself going out there to get the groceries, the, you know, the little refrigerated things that we had. And I'm like, oh, wait, wow, I can just turn around. And there it is in the kitchen, actually. So um, anyways, but I was not home. John was home when the refrigerator guy came. So missed that. But you know, some, a friend uh, texted me and, or um, messaged me and, and asked about that. So did he get saved? And I said, I think the lesson was for me. Yeah, like the Lord told me that. It was like, oh, no, 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 Michelle, you missed it. It's all for you. It's all about you. It's all about your Christian conduct. It's all about conducting yourself in a Christian way, not demanding for your rights. Bring me a new refrigerator now. Let me talk to somebody else. I'm sorry, there's no one else you can talk to. Well, I want to. Who can I email? Who can I tell that this is wrong? No person should go without a refrigerator for this long. I mean, don't we want our rights? Aren't we? Oh, yeah, I can go there. We can all do that. Like, this is wrong. This is so wrong. And then we try to make it right. But in the, in the process of trying to make it right, we forget who we are. Oh, wait. Whoops. Forgot. First and foremost, I am a Christian. And this person doesn't know, praise God, you know, uh, uh, but the people on the freeway today, when I was driving like 80 something miles an hour to get here, they knew, and I have Calvary stickers all over the place. (laughs) Some people have told me that's why I don't put Calvary stickers on my car. I'm like, really? 
I'm like, that's smart. No, <laughs> we should have the extra accountability, right? You know, but I'm just saying sometimes we can forget who we are. And we need to remember that first and foremost, we are Christians. We cannot let the lust of the flesh or the, our lust or our pride or anything take over. Paul says in Romans seven eighteen, in my flesh dwells no good thing. In John uh, six thirty three, the flesh profits nothing. We can't do anything in the flesh. Ladies, don't forget who you are. Our real battle is not with people around us, but our real battle, Warren Wiersbe said, is the passions within us. D.L. Moody said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than anyone else I know. (laughs) I love that. I'm like, yes, you too? (laughs) Yes, we have more trouble with us. We are the problem. And that's basically what the Lord told me. It wasn't that the repairman was going to get saved. He's like, Michelle, you're the problem. It's you. Remember, the flesh, the fleshly lust that Peter speaks of, um, the Apostle Paul lists for us also in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And he says in this list of the flesh, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbirths of wrath selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Peter tells the pilgrims, although it may be a temptation to give in to those fleshly lusts, especially in the time of trial, he begs them not to. He begs them not to. And I beg you not to, from one who is learning um, from her mistakes. So often, winning the battle over the desire of the flesh comes down to surrender. Will we surrender? It reminds me of Jacob when he was wrestling with God, right? Like, sometimes we can do that too. We can wrestle with God. Like we could, like we could really win, right? I mean, thinking that we could win in a wrestling match with God? No, we will never win. But we try sometimes, don't we? Don't we wrestle with him sometimes? Thinking, no, 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 I'm going to win. I'm going to get a new refrigerator. <laughs> I probably, this will probably be the last week I talk about the refrigerator. I just got to get it out. (laughs) Anyways, we do, we get, we can become very demanding with our rights and we can forget who we are. We are beloved children. We are loved by God. We are Christians first. We are to surrender to the Holy Spirit Paul encourages us in this work saying in Galatians 5.16, we are to walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The key there is spirit, to walk in it, to not give way to the flesh, which is a, a daily battle for us. By God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, We can choose, because it is a choice, to abstain from the lust of the flesh. And when we do that, look at verse 12. 
Our motive for submitting to the authority is for the sake of the lost, but is also for the sake of the Lord. Verse 13, excuse me, tells us, Peter says in verse 13, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that you do good, that, excuse me, by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Although the Christians were pilgrims and this world was not their home, they were still called upon by the Lord to submit to civil authority, and they were called to for others' sake, and now he points out for the Lord's sake. Peter didn't want to be misunderstood, thus he quickly informs his readers that separation from worldliness didn't mean disobedience in the area of citizenship. As Christians, we should be model citizens for others. We are not the ones that break the law. We are to be peacemakers, not lawbreakers. We are citizens of heaven, and thus our behavior and our manner of life should reflect our citizenship. Under uh, under civil authority, we are to live respectfully. Verse 15 says, for this is the will of God. And by doing this, you put to silence ignorant and foolish men. Peter says believers silence ignorant and oppressive men and women, not by what we say, but by what we do, how we live our lives, how we conduct our lives, how we are peacemakers, not lawbreakers, how we abide uh, to the law. One of the greatest evangelistic tools is how we live our life. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. Not your good words, but your good works, your life. And by our life, they glorify God. In light of these verses, how do we measure up? Are we willingly submitting to authority? How does our life read to others? What are others saying about us? And are we using our liberties as a license to sin? Look at verse 16. He says, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak or a vice, but as bondservants of God. As Christians, we are free, but we're not free to just live however we want to live. We still have to obey authority, and we have to do so honorably. We are to obey authority for others' sake, for the Lord's sake, and finally, we're to do so for our own sake. As each of us um, are abiding, obeying the word of God, 
it will be easier to obey authority. But we're to do so because others are watching, because others connect us, because we call ourselves a Christian, with God for his sake, but to do so for our own sake as well. Here we've reached our final key, which is to endure suffering. Verse 18 through 21, it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when we are beaten for our falls, that you take it patiently, patiently, patiently. Woo, that was a hard one to get out for some reason. But when you are good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable for God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. He already did it. He already went through that. He is our role model. He is, Jesus is our ultimate example. There are many Christians who were slaves at this time and they were struggling, as I said, with submitting to their authority. Uh, We don't have slaves, but we do have employers and employees in that situation. We do have husbands. I'm just going to throw that out there too. Some in a marriage aren't treated correctly and they can be treated more like a slave in their marriage. It's important to understand that our workplace or if you're in school, maybe your campus or wherever you work, um, it is our mission field, wherever we're at, wherever you do, wherever the Lord takes you on your day, it could be the grocery store. That is your mission field. The people that you come in contact with are your mission field. And sometimes that mission field isn't always friendly. (laughs) Sometimes they're just not nice. The question is, how do we react when that happens? When somebody's just not nice to us? That's when we remember who we are. We are Christians first. Christians first. And even though we may not be liked or treated well, we must remember that this is our mission field. It may be your own home is your mission field. And yet, we'll talk about next week, your mission field is where you are to maintain your witness. I mean, we're always to maintain our witness. And most of us feel like we can go home and we can leave the witness at the door, right? We can step in the door and our witness is left at the door. But guess what? It isn't. It comes inside the door with us into our home. And those of you who do not have believing spouses, even more so for you. I mean, really, that's when your witness should be its best. And it's, it's hard. It is hard. It's hard to always be on, to have our guard up and to never let our guard down. And of course, we take things out the hardest on the people that we are closest to. So we must be mindful, whatever your witness is, whether it's in your home, at your workplace, at the grocery store, wherever you are, we are our first Christians, first and foremost. And we are to maintain that witness. It might even be over the telephone where people don't know who we are, they can't see who we are, we still then are to maintain a good witness. 
<clears throat> I told one friend of mine who's very patient, and uh, I said, you probably could have got me a new refrigerator. <laughs> because she's so calm and patient, and she has great Christian conduct. Somebody who gets on the phone and demands and, and is not nice, they're not going to give you anything. I don't care where you call, you know? So anyways, Jesus sets for us the example for us to follow. His behavior, his model is one that we should follow. As Peter reminds us in verse 22, he says, who committed no sin, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, that is God, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. This is the prime example of Christian conduct. Right there, highlight it. This is it right here. If any time we're complaining about how we are treated, go back here and read it. Because he is our example and we call ourselves Christians, we too will have to pick up the cross and travel the same road that Jesus traveled. This is the way of the cross, ladies, right here. It isn't easy, but it is the way that we are commanded to treat other people. It is the way that we are commanded that we should. It is our Christian conduct is here. It is hard, but it's the only way, if we call ourselves Christians, that we are to live. Jesus is our ultimate example. We are to submit to authority for others' sake, for the Lord's sake and for our own sake. We are also to conduct ourselves in such a way that we lay aside sin, that we desire milk, that we build our house, that we proclaim praise, that we submit to authority, and yes, that we also endure suffering. When we do all of these things, we are following the example set for us by Jesus Christ, and we are becoming more like him, and that is our goal. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do love you and praise you, and we thank you for the practical lesson on Christian conduct today, Lord. Would you help us, Lord? Apart from your Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. We cannot do it, God. We cannot live the Christian life. We cannot walk in the Spirit. We cannot not be jealous. We cannot rejoice with others. We can do no good thing apart from you, God. So we need you today, God. Would you fill us afresh and anew with the power of your Holy Spirit that we may walk like you walked. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.